Be seated. Overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God. Man, we talk a lot today about being people of privilege. And if you're a Christian, you are a people of privilege. Um, I just, that song is it's one of my favorites. And, and uh, every time I think that, wow, we've just heard the best of the music, then another song comes out and you're like, wow, that's even better, you know. And there's a... Um, that's just, a, just an overwhelming thought there. The overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God. So my name is Eric Birch. Uh, welcome to Summit Ridge Community Church. Welcome everybody that's here and everybody at home. Uh, as you recall, we are going through a series called Messy Church. And it's a study of 1st and 2nd Corinthians, but we're looking at how Paul had to deal with the Corinthian church. Um... And if you remember toward the end of chapter 7 last week, you remember last week, right? So uh, Paul's pretty excited. Titus is back. They've met up. Um, and he's had really good news about what's going on in the Corinthian church. And so Paul's really kind of excited about things. Uh, and Paul is, you know, he's, he realized that he caused a lot of grief in the church. But, hey, that grief worked out. The sorrow he created got a repentant church and things got changing the way they were supposed to be. So Paul's, you know, pretty excited. Things are going pretty well. The Judaizers had been rejected, and in, in, in rejecting the Judaizers, they were affirming Jesus Christ. They're affirming Jesus Christ in their lives, um, and so things again. Like he's he's pretty excited. So Paul's going to start chapter eight though on a somewhat quieter note. He's going to talk about money, and you know how popular that is, right? So that hasn't changed. It's always a popular topic. Uh, specifically, though, he's going to talk about how much money had been collected by the Gentile churches for the church in Jerusalem. Um, recall back in Romans, there's an agreement between the leadership of the church in Jerusalem, uh, which is really Peter, James, and John. Um, and the agreement is, is they're going to send Paul and Barnabas out to the Gentile churches, and Peter, James, and John are going to stay in the Jerusalem churches, but the agreement depends upon Paul and Barnabas raising funds for the Jerusalem church. Um, and so the, you have to remember they're still in Jerusalem here. Uh, they're, they're an oppressed country. You know, they're occupied by the Romans. And so it, um, you know, they need what help they can get. And so Christianity, in a sense, started in Jerusalem so that the Gentile churches have a spiritual debt, in a sense, to the Jerusalem church. And they're going to pay that with a material blessing. Uh, it's sort of what we think of when we think of giving, right? We return back to God resources that he gave us. Not just material resources, but spiritual resources, our time, our money, um, our talents and gifts. Um, now, all the Christian churches worldwide are part of God's church. And I know we keep thinking that, well, you know, a lot of churches think, well, we're the ones that, had it all figured out, guess what? You're not going to get to heaven and find a bunch of people with T-shirts that say, I told you so, right? It's just not going to work that way. Uh, we really set aside all these petty issues and focus on the fact that we're all unified in God um, through Jesus Christ, okay? All right, so the Judaizers have been active since before the agreement and had rejected efforts by Paul and Barnabas 
to reach the Gentile churches. Um, and this is a decade after that agreement in Jerusalem. So the Judaizers have been very busy for a long time trying to get in the way. Um, the other thing we know is that this collection was a, a major undertaking, involved collection of a lot of money um, for, uh, from the churches in Galatia, Asia, Macedonia, and Achaia, uh, and provided a capstone sort of on Paul's ministry, right? He's reached out over all of Asia and, and into, in, or westward towards Spain, this huge group, and has collected this huge amount of money that he's going to bring to the Jerusalem church, in a sense honoring a promise that he'd made 10 years earlier, um, that he would take care of this process. Of course, they couldn't just wire transfer so they have to take it there. So the, um, it's kind of a neat way he's doing this because Paul is basically saying, hey, I'm doing my part. I'm raising all this money. You do your part and get rid of these Judaizers. You know, boom, we're done with these folks. All right, so with all that, let's jump in. So chapter 8, verse 1. Now, brethren, we wish to make known to you the grace of God, which has been given in the churches of Macedonia, that in great ordeal of affliction, their abundance of joy and their deep poverty overflowed in the wealth of their liberality. For I testify that according to their ability and beyond their ability, they gave of their own accord, begging us with much urging for the favor of the participation in the support of saints. And this, not as we had expected, but they first gave themselves to the Lord, to us, by the will of God. So Paul starts this uh, chapter recognizing the sacrifice made by the Macedonian churches. Um, that it's beyond what they expected. Um, and that this, uh, they're a poor and persecuted church in Macedonia. And yet they did so well. They gathered up so much. He, Paul commends them in Romans 15 verses 26 and 27. It says, For Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make a contribution for the poor among the saints in Jerusalem. Yes, they were pleased to do so, as they are indebted to them. For if Gentiles had shared in their spiritual blessings, they are indebted to minister to them also in their material things. So they gave themselves to the Lord first, and by doing so were motivated to give to the saints also. Their joy in receiving the message from the saints and accepting the grace of Jesus Christ made them gracious as well. Therefore, they wanted to participate what Paul was doing in Paul's ministry and support the Jerusalem church. Literally, it's a privilege of ministry. We are privileged in the fact that we have, as we said before, this, this never-ending love of God. And in that gives us a never-ending love for others to support others and to participate. The Greek word charis is used twice, translated as grace in verse 1 and privilege in verse 4. And it's the same word we use to get charismata or gifts is translated. We think of charismatic, but the, but the original word really means gifts. And so the desire and the ability to give is a gift from God. And the Macedonian churches has exceeded their giving because they had been given this gift of generosity. Um, so what Paul is saying is that the Macedonians responded to the grace of God, showed them by showing unconditional kindness to the faraway Christians in Judea. Right. Now, it's kind of interesting the way this plays, right? Because 
Paul is going to go to the church, is writing this letter to the church at Corinth, who is behind in their gathering. They started off really strong, but then they've kind of waned. And so Paul's not going to really start after them immediately. He's going to say, look how good everybody else is doing. Here's these churches that have been persecuted, these churches that have not done so well, and yet look at what they're doing. Right? So, what, I mean, he's effectively shaming the Corinthian church, but not do it by directly saying it to them. So it's really kind of interesting the way Paul is really the, very political in how he addresses this sort of thing. And so it's, it's, uh, it's good. All right, verse 6. So we urge Titus that he has had previously made a beginning, so he would also complete in you this gracious work as well. But just as you abound in everything, in faith and utterance and knowledge and in all earnestness and in the love we inspired in you, so that you abound in this gracious work also. I am not speaking this as a command, but as proving through the earnestness of others the sincerity of your love also. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. I give my opinion in this matter, for this is to your advantage, who were the first to begin a year ago not only to do this, but also to desire to do But now I finished but now finish doing it also, so just as there was the readiness to desire it, so there may also be completion of it by your ability. So the word structure here is really kind of interesting, right? So Paul's going to say all these nice things about the Corinthians church, and then he throws in that magic word, but. And we know that but kind of erases all the things you said before and replaces it with what you're going to say next. So Paul says, you know, that he notes that the Corinthians excel in faith, in speech, translated as utterances in the NASB, in knowledge, in complete earnestness and love. Here's all these things you're doing really well. But <laughs> he points out their shortcomings in the fact that they're no longer giving graciously to the collection. Paul is saying you're doing so well at all these other gifts, you should do well in giving also. So he kind of effectively shames them out of the grace that's seen by the Macedonian church. But moreover, he shames them by the grace given of Jesus Christ. Right? Jesus Christ had more than anything, everything beyond everything, right? You can't imagine. He was there sharing with, with um, the Father and the Spirit, and yet he came down here. To be with us. And Paul is using that as an example of what it really means to sacrifice. So, you know, we all have gifts and talents that we've been given by the very same God that Paul is referencing. I think back to my own life. I was born in the United States, of well to do parents, sent to good schools, received a great education joined the Air Force, got to fly fighter jets around the world. I mean, the list goes on and on. I have been truly blessed. Now, a lot of it is opportunity. I've been given these. Without the opportunities that I've been given, I never would have been able to get to where I've gotten today. And that's what Paul's trying to explain to the church. You've been given so much. And we think of those things as material gifts, but he's talking to the spiritual gifts that you've been given. You know, as believers in Jesus Christ, we've been given a tremendous gift. 
So again, to make the, to drive the point home, Paul makes one of the most powerful statements in the epistles about Jesus' preexistence. In verse 9, he points out that Jesus was once rich, yet for our sake became poor. He was eternal with the Father and in the Spirit, became man, lived among us for 33 years where he suffered and eventually died a terrible death. I mean, again, think of the gap that that is. The gap between eternity with the Father and the Spirit in heaven and death on the cross. Huge distance of what Jesus had to do for us. Philippians chapter 2, verses 6 to uh, 8. Who, by being very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. That death that freed us from eternal damnation and gave us the opportunity to rekindle our relationship with the everlasting Father. So, Corinthians, pick up the pace. <laughs> I mean, you, you see how he works that? I mean, that's great. He's like, he presents this, this incredible gift of sacrifice, and he says, hey guys, get on the program. Verse 12. For if the readiness is present, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. For this is not for the ease of others or for your affliction, but by way of equality. At this present time, your abundance being a supply for their need, so that their abundance also may become a supply for your need. That there may be equality. As it is written, he who gathered much did not have too much, and he who gathered little had no lack. So the importance here is that giving is not based on what you have. It's based on your willingness to give what you have. Remember the, uh, the widow we hear about in Mark who gave the copper pennies even though it was the last she had. Mark chapter 12, verses 42 to 44. A poor widow came and put two small copper coins, which amount to a cent. Calling his disciples to him, he said to them, Truly I say to you, this poor widow put in more than all the contributors to the treasury. For they put in out of their surplus, but she, out of her poverty, put in all she owned, all she had to live on. So Paul is encouraging the Corinthians to give based on equality of sacrifice, not equality of funds. So currently, remember we've talked about earlier in, in 1 Corinthians that the Corinthian church is doing well. They're a very successful business kind of place, right? They're, they're in a perfect place of all the shipping traffic, and so they're doing well financially. Um, but a time will come when those roles will be reversed. And Paul is making the point is that there are times, I, when I think of the extremes of have and have not, I've gone through in my life, it's, there's some pretty amazing times. But the point of it is, is that it's that unity of giving as a body, the church, that fulfills those needs. So when you are particularly blessed, you give. And when you struggle, you give what you give, given how God moves you, right? In verse 15, Paul quotes from Exodus, referring to the man that says, When they measured it with an omer, he who had gathered much had no excess, and he who had gathered little had no lack. Every man gathered as much as he should eat. 
So Paul's making just that simple point. Everybody needs to sacrifice at the same level of willingness and sacrifice. So Paul kind of approaches this touchy issue uh, in a number of ways. Uh, he compliments them that they were doing well. Uh, and he compliments them on how well that started that process, that their attitude was really good in the beginning. Third, and this is interesting, he doesn't bring up the concept of Jewish tithing. Remember, he had just got rid of the Judaizers. The last thing he wanted to bring up was this idea of a straight percentage, right? Because if you remember Old Testament Hebrew, is 10%, you know, is easy. One to God, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine to me, you know, this process. And he didn't want them to be thinking a process. He wanted them to be thinking an attitude, an attitude of willingness and sacrifice, right? So he's, it's just really great the way he covers this. And then again, he covers, uh, he compares to the Macedonians and their level of giving, and again compares to Jesus with his ultimate gift. And so he encourages them to pick up the pace and give an equal willingness and effort to the other gifts they've been given. He places this responsibility straight on the Corinthian church. Uh, there's no question that um, they know what they're supposed to be doing. All right, verse 16. But thanks be to God who puts the same earnestness on your behalf in the heart of Titus. For he not only accepted our appeal, but being himself very earnest, he has gone to you of his own accord. We have sent along with him the brother whose fame in the things of the gospel has spread through all the churches. And not only this, but he has also been appointed by the churches to travel with us in this gracious work, which is being administered by us for the glory of the Lord himself to show our readiness, taking precautions so that no one will discredit us in our administration of this generous gift. For we have regard for what is honorable, not only in the sight of the Lord, but also in the sight of men. We have sent with them our brother, whom we have often tested and found diligent in many ways. But now even more diligent because of his great confidence in you. As for Titus, he is my partner and fellow worker among you. As for our brethren, they are messengers of the church, a glory to Christ. Therefore, openly before the churches, show them the proof of your love and our reason for boasting for you. So recall the accusations that were made earlier against Paul that he was exploiting the church. So Paul is going to make sure that fully being aware of this accusation, fully being aware of the size of this donation, that there will be no grounds to accuse him of doing anything wrong. So he sends to the Corinthian church, he sends Titus and two other people. We're not certain who the other two are. Because of the description, we think one of them may have been Luke. Luke was up in Philippi at the time, so he may have been the one that went. But we know he ends up sending Titus and two others to the Corinthian church so that there's no question about what's going on. In addition, he sends seven others with the collection when it goes to Judea. So he's going to make sure there's no question that he is not taking any of the money or using anything that shouldn't happen uh, so that he can end that accusations that were going on. All right, 2 Corinthians 9, verse 1. For it is superfluous for me to write to you about the ministry to the saints. I know your readiness, of which I boast about you to the Macedonians. Namely, that Achaia has been prepared since last year, and your zeal has stirred up most of them. But I have sent the brethren in order that our boasting about you may not be made empty. In this case, so that, as I was saying, you may be prepared. Otherwise, if any Macedonians come with, you, come with me and find you unprepared, 
we, not to speak of you, will be put to shame by this confidence. So I thought it necessary to urge the brethren that they would go on ahead to you and arrange beforehand your previously promised bountiful gift so that the same would be ready as a bountiful gift and not affected by covetousness. This is great, right? So Paul says to Jesus, we're going to go ahead, let you know that you need to start collecting this money because when we show up, you need to be ready to give it because there might be some Macedonians with us and they're going to know you didn't pay up. They're going to know all this boasting we did about how great the church in Corinth is and how generous they are is for nothing. I mean, Paul is great, right? I mean, he's like laying it on them. So, so again, Paul is bragging about how generous the Corinthians are, and he doesn't want to embarrass them. Because we know this letter is going to be written, it's going to be read before Titus gets there. So they're going to have time to prepare. That's kind of like those things, you know, you're always, like, always good with your, you know, your mother-in-law says, okay, I'll be down for the weekend. Ah, oh, good, four days. The, uh, right? Be prepared, right? So here he's telling them, hey, we're going to send Titus and these others to collect the money. Be prepared. Just in case the Macedonian happens to be with them. Uh, <laughs> great. Um, now, finally, Paul goes beyond the short-term issues with the Corinthian churches and presents to us a larger picture. Verse 6. Now I say, this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must do just as he purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that always having all sufficiency in everything, you may have an abundance for every good deed. As it is written, he scattered abroad, he gave to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in everything for all liberality, which through us producing thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only fully supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing through many thanksgivings to God. Because of the proof given by this ministry, they will glorify God for your obedience to your confession of the gospel of Christ and for the liberality of your contribution to them and to all, while they also, by prayer on your behalf, yearn for you because of the surpassing grace of God in you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. So God's grace toward us gives us graciousness in us toward others. God's grace to us is infinite and not bound by any limits. And therefore, our grace, too, should be without measure or calculation. Our response should be grateful, not reluctant response. I love the verse, God loves a cheerful giver. If you resent having to write a check to support somebody, if you resent having to have a work day, if you resent having to go help somebody out, then don't do it. God doesn't want you there if that's your attitude. He wants you to enjoy what you're doing. He wants you to find fulfillment in giving, whatever you're giving, your time, your talents, your money, whatever it is. He wants you to be giving that graciously. He wants our attitude to be right when we give. Now, we should not be casual or impulsive, either direction. Right? But we should give based on what we've prayerfully 
God has laid on our hearts to give. That's why Paul doesn't bring up some number, right? Because that number is different for everybody. You know, it isn't a comparison. We don't post the numbers on the board, who gave what, right? Or who showed up and who didn't show up. The point of it is it's God lays on your heart what it is that you need to do for the body and then go do it. Paul compares the act of giving with farming. If you only sow a few seeds, then you'll only harvest a few seeds. On the other hand, if you sow bountifully, you'll have a bountiful harvest. And he promises in that bountiful harvest that we'll be given the seeds for sowing righteousness. Recall Matthew 4.20, And those are the ones on whom seed was sown on the good soil. And they hear the word and accept it and bear forth fruit. 30, 60, and 100 fold. So just as the farmer who sows in abundance will reap enough for himself, enough seed for the following season, and surplus, so too we, if we sow graciously and generously, will increase the harvest of righteousness, not only among ourselves, but among the rest of the world that we're in. And realize we're not talking the way that the world defines uh, prosperity. You love that song, Lord, won't you buy me a Mercedes Benz? <laughs> My friends all have Porsches and I must make amends. The, uh, that's not what he's talking about. Yeah, I know some people know that song, right? <laughs> yeah. the, uh, that's not what he's talking about. That's not the prosperity he's talking about. And it's interesting because you'll hear that people, well, you know, if you give to me, then God's going to pay your house off. No, that's not what they're talking about. It's not the kind of prosperity God's promising. Right? He's talking about this prosperity of righteousness. You know, that this sense of presence with God, uh, which is what we really all want. Because in the end, we're all living in tents on this earth. Soon we will go to a mansion in heaven that's beyond anything we can imagine. And we tend to focus on money in these passages, and, and it's as a pastor, nobody wants to be up here talking about money, trust me. Uh, that's what the verses are about. Um, but again, Paul, it applies to all those avenues of your life, right? It talks about our time, our gifts, our talent, and our resources. We've all been given a different mix of that skill sets, our talents, our abilities, our resources. We all have a different. You know, I listen to people, beautiful voices. I mean, I wish I had a beautiful voice, as do people who sit around me. The, but it's, that's not the gift. You know, that's not what I have. But I have to take the gifts that I do have and use those. And that's true of all of us. We all have this collection of gifts that if we all participate together, great increasing of righteousness within the body and again within the community that we are. So again, as God has given to us generously, so too we should give generously in recognition of all that Jesus gave for us. Finally, I'm going to quote Luke 6.38. Give and it will be given to you. They will pour into your lap a good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. For by your standard of measure, it will be measured for you in return. Lord, we are just so grateful that you have made this uncomparable sacrifice for us. Um, that you left heaven in unity with the Father and the Spirit to come on earth and live as a man among us. And that you were not only generous and gracious while you're here, 
but gracious to the point of death. And in your death, we have reconciliation with the Father, forgiveness of our sins, righteousness before you. Again, Lord, we're just thankful for all that you do. All rise and receive the benediction today. Our benediction comes from Hebrews chapter 12, verses 20 and 21. Now may the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus Christ, that great shepherd of the sheep, equip you with everything good for doing his will. And may he work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen.